Hello, everyone. This is Sal, and welcome to the Cryptocurrency Informer. Our guest today is Isaiah Jackson, aka Bitcoin Zay. Isaiah is an award winning speaker, best selling author, and co host of the long running daily show, The Gentleman of Crypto. His work has been featured in Forbes, Vogue, Yahoo Finance, and Coindesk. Isaiah, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Of course. And so can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You have a lot of really impressive stuff in your background. Can you tell us a little bit more? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I was told about Bitcoin in 2013. Ironically, it was from a banker and he expressed to me that there was a new currency called Bitcoin and that it was really tech based. And my background is in tech. I worked in IT for about six years. So I was very interested in Bitcoin at the time. And from that point, started a couple of businesses, which we'll talk about later, you know, KRB, Digital Assets Group. And in my opinion, I needed to find a way to make it more efficient, which got me to the book, which we'll discuss as well. And Bitcoin has been a part of my life every day since then. So going on almost eight years. Wow. Okay. Like I said before, you have done a lot. You have a really cool history, a lot of obviously an entrepreneur in this space. Well, first, let me ask you this. Were you a teacher at some point? Absolutely. I was a high school teacher when I was 23 years old. I actually (laughs) had a student that was 21 in high school. So I was pretty young at the time. And I realized that in the public school sector, I couldn't really get across any long-term messages. So of course, combined with Bitcoin, I decided to leave from there. But yes, I started out as a high school teacher. Well, we have something in common, and I can relate to you on that. I mean, not the same age gap, but I briefly taught introductory psychology to freshmen at a community college. So I was maybe late 20s, but some of my students were older than me. You know what I mean? I can definitely relate on that age gap. And it's a challenge, right? Because when you're that young, the students kind of want to be your friend and you want to be their friend. You want to be the cool teacher and stuff like that. But at the same time, you still have to teach them and you still have to be an authority figure. So it's a delicate balance. I'm sure you uh, are familiar with that. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, definitely is. You're right. Let's talk about the big thing. You have a book that released sometime last year, right? July last year. Yep. And then, uh, July 2019. Yep. Okay. So it's a little over a year. Congratulations, first of all, on the book. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's called Bitcoin and Black America. Can you give us a little summary about why you wrote it and what it's about? Absolutely. So like I stated before, I started a company, KRBE Digital Assets Group, where we provide consulting and education for anyone who wants to learn about Bitcoin. And one of the things I noticed was that 80% of our clients uh, were Black Americans. And I wanted to, uh, at some point, uh, make it more efficient so that they could have something very easy to purchase or use to learn about Bitcoin, blockchain technology, and relate it to our community. And that was the reasoning behind writing the book. And now that the book is out, we're starting to see a sort of surge amongst my community of using Bitcoin, as well as other altcoins, in order to uh, get ahead economically. And I mean, if you read the book, you'll see, but just based on the history of how economics are in America, We definitely need some sort of other monetary system in order to have leverage. And the best part about it is every community can get involved. It's not just my community, but that is the community I focused on because I am a part of the Black American community. So the best part is Bitcoin is for everybody. And I just want to make sure I introduce that to my community and I encourage others to do the same. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a necessary thing that you're doing and it's a great idea. First of all, I read somewhere that you had said something along the lines of, in order to be really taken seriously by certain clients, that you had to have a book. And that's part of the reason you wrote the book. Is that accurate? 
Uh, yes, to an extent, because a lot of times in the Black community, we have some of the members of my community have, you know, forayed into crypto and blockchain, and they've been scammed or they've been told wrong information. And to set yourself apart, there is no college course to take. There's no real certification to get in order to, I guess, make yourself viable in the Bitcoin world. So when you write a book, it's almost as if you lay your stamp as, hey, I really know what I'm talking about. I can write an entire book about it. And, and this is just the first published book. I've actually published three starter guides before this. So it was one of the things that I always wanted to establish to let people know that if you really know what you're talking about, you can put it down in words. And uh, I just wanted to make sure people understood. I'm not some guy trying to promote some scam or some shit coin uh, to just try and get you money, but, or also lose it. Um, so yeah, I, I just wanted to make sure I was viable. And in this space, as you know, it, we're just getting started. So the fact that there's no official way to make yourself a Bitcoin, I guess, expert or crypto expert, writing a book is definitely a good way to get started. Yeah. I mean, that raises a really interesting point about whether there's going to be in the future, any type of certification or just in general, like college classes for cryptocurrency. I mean, you were thinking like an economics class, they would start teaching about cryptocurrency. But yeah, I wonder if there is going to be any sort of specific degree or certification for, you know, I guess what crypto expert or, Mm -hmm. you know, cryptocurrency. I will say, in my opinion, they, you know, most colleges won't have a choice because it'll be a part of the monetary policy. It'll be a part of the international monetary system. And honestly, I've actually had uh, requests from the University of New Hampshire. They've actually requested that my book be required reading their actual financial uh, school. And then I have meetings with other colleges around America, basically saying that, yes, Bitcoin and blockchain will become a part of it. So being able to give them that information that will, in my opinion, add to their curriculum at some point. So they won't have a choice, honestly. (laughs) I mean, you have to learn about this at some point. I mean, it's almost getting to the point now where if you don't know about it as a professional, you will be on the outside looking in. And then at some point that will move down to colleges and schools. Yeah, absolutely. Congratulations on having a college want to use your book as required reading. That's I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Thank you. That's kind of like uh, Bitcoin taxation. I was talking to you a little bit about that before we started recording. And I think colleges need to start offering a course on that. Like if you're going to be a CPA or something like that, you should probably have some cryptocurrency taxation knowledge because if you become an accountant or a CPA or some sort of tax professional and you Mm -hmm. don't have that knowledge when it comes to cryptocurrencies, I mean, you're missing out on a huge segment of the population. And that's only going to be growing and growing as it becomes more and more mainstream. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In my opinion, it's a part of our daily you know, movements. And as far as money moves, when it comes to marriage and divorce and things of that nature with the lawyers, when it comes to accountants, yes, this will be very important. So there's a couple things here with Bitcoin and Black America, right? Like even the title itself is Bitcoin and Black America. So there's two things there that are obviously diverging. There's Bitcoin as a technology, as a cryptocurrency, as an economic solution. And there's Black America, which faces systemic racism in the United States and a lot of uh, social justice type issues. So let's start with the Bitcoin aspect, right? Like you've already said a couple times that you're very much pro-Bitcoin. It's in your life every day. You've been in it since the early days and you really see it as a new kind of economic solution. So let's start there, right? With the economic solution. What's wrong with our traditional banking system? What's wrong with the traditional banking system? And how can Bitcoin and other crypto solve that in your opinion? 
Oh man, Jesus Christ! What is it wrong <laughs> with our financial system? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, actually, you know, in our system, the biggest thing lacking is education. Because if everyone really realized how much our current financial system is messing us over, there would be riots today. You know what I mean? People would understand that uh, inflation is built into into our economy, so that the cash that you spend or the cash that you get, you're meant to spend it and because it's worth less tomorrow. And face of that, Bitcoin was created and Bitcoin is actually better uh, long-term. It, it actually incentivizes saving. And of course, it's a deflationary economy so that your purchasing power increases over time. And I want people to understand that our current financial system is built for regular people to lose. Black, white, it doesn't matter. Asian, it doesn't matter your demographic. Like I said, I focus on mine because that's what I know, but mm-hmm. it doesn't matter your demographic. The Federal Reserve affects us all. And as, as much as we want to discuss, you know, a lot of finances and how we can progress, you can't really get to the root of the problem until you realize that the Federal Reserve has introduced inflation so that the dollar decreases at this point, 99% since the creation of the Federal Reserve in 1913. So how much further down can it go? And once you realize that, you sort of look at Bitcoin as a viable option, as a store of value, as well as a future medium of exchange. And that's, you know, basically what I want to impart to uh, my community as well as others. There's a lot there, right? And so how is somebody that is disenfranchised from the traditional financial system, traditional banking system, how can somebody in that situation benefit from Bitcoin. And now keep in mind, I'm talking about somebody, you know, you've been in this industry for a long time. I've been in yeah. this industry a long time. We understand Bitcoin. We know all the on-ramps and stuff like that, how to get into Bitcoin. Think of somebody who doesn't really, and I'm sure you've dealt with people like this, who don't really know that much about Bitcoin and you want them to get into Bitcoin to see how much it can help them. How do they start? I mean, do they just make a Coinbase account and that's kind of like their on-ramp into crypto or is there another way that I'm not oh, man. Oh, yeah. Well, I will say if I had to give a suggestion, please stay off of Coinbase. Or if you have it, <laughs> move it off of Coinbase. I actually have a video called How to Get Off of Coinbase. But I mean, if you want to get into crypto, there's numerous onboarding ramps. Uh, thank goodness, because it wasn't like this when you and I first started. It mm-hmm. was only a couple places. But now you can actually purchase Bitcoin on Cash App. You can use Swan yeah. Bitcoin. You can use Gemini. These are all exchanges, local Bitcoins, Wobi, I mean, OKCoin. It's, it's so many onboarding places that you can purchase Bitcoin. And once you do that, the ability to move it to your own personal wallet is second to none because people don't understand when you can actually hold your assets personally, that gives you self-sovereignty. So one of the things I've noticed as far as consulting education is that most people think, for one, that you have to buy a whole Bitcoin. You don't, just a fraction. Uh, you can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin, buy it on an exchange, and you can move it to your own personal, uh, either cold storage or your own wallet. And you can have as many wallets as you want. So it's great to see. And I love the fact that Bitcoin has this option because, like I said, when you and I first started, how hard was it to uh, find information about it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it was It was they even are. more you know niche than it, than it is now. So Absolutely. You made a good point there when you brought up actually one uh, one kind of exchange or one kind of app, I guess, in particular, which is cash app. And this is the second time actually that I've brought it up on this podcast. And I'm in no way, you know, endorsing and we're not like, we don't get paid by them or anything like that. But I recently downloaded cash app to check out their Bitcoin purchasing. And man, they make it so easy. I got a physical card delivered to me with like a cool little Bitcoin logo on it. And, you know, I bought some Bitcoin super easily. So I think something like that, that it touches the mainstream audience 
in a separate way from cryptocurrency as well, right? Like people use Cash App just as like kind of like a Venmo and they use it to send cash to other people and to use it to buy stuff. I think something like that is a really good on-ramp for people that know nothing about crypto because they already have it just to send money to people. And then it's like, okay, hey, I can buy some Bitcoin. I can easily, it's very easy user interface. I can see what it's worth, et cetera. So I think something like Cash App and probably eventually maybe PayPal if they decide to do crypto, which I think they're talking about doing. I think those yeah. are really good <laughs> ways for people. Because when you talk about multiple exchanges, I think it gets a little confusing, right? Like when you start okay. talking about all these different exchanges and then you got to do all this like KYC, you're going to have to do everywhere. But in terms of like a Cash App KYC, actually you can buy the Bitcoin, I think on Cash App without having to do a full KYC. And you don't have to do KYC until you want to transfer it, as far as I understand. So that's even more of a way to get people less intimidated by it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the onboarding process of Cash App has to be commended. They've made more money than they've ever made as far as a company by introducing Bitcoin. And as far as consumers, it's very easy, like you said. You can buy a dollar worth of Bitcoin. You can buy $10 worth of Bitcoin. Very easy. So Mm -hmm. glad for Cash App to be able to provide that. Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned before, you know, your book is Bitcoin and Black America. And we talked a little bit just now about the Bitcoin part. So now let's talk about the Black America part. You know, I mentioned that there's systemic racism. I mean, you could have podcasts and classes and you can't describe the lengths of systemic racism and institutional racism, financial racism in five minute conversation or just even an hour podcast where we're talking about multiple different things. But it exists. There's Americans that will say otherwise, but the majority of America can agree that there is all sorts of different types of racism that exists. And whether you want to accept that or not, it's truth. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So as far as uh, the American experience, uh, like I said, I'm 31 years old. I've been Black my entire life. And as far as the racism part, yes, I've experienced it. But one of the biggest things I see is uh, lacking as far as the conversation is that Yes, racism exists, but from an economic standpoint, when people are in a position to lose money, at the very least, your community is respected. And that's one of the things I want to introduce with Bitcoin is that if you just look at the example of what's happened recently, when uh, the George Floyd, his death uh, sparked protests and sort of uh, pushback, all of a sudden companies, when they felt like they would lose money if they didn't support Black Lives Matter, all of a sudden they all supported it. Yeah. that's I mean, even, even if it was uh, virtue signaling that you mm-hmm. didn't think was, uh, was actually honest, one of the best parts about it is, yes, if a company can lose money, they will change and pivot in order to support that. So with Bitcoin, what I think is a bigger or a macro type uh, change where you basically say, hey, as a community, we can leave this economy. Our spending power is well over $2 trillion a year. We can leave this economy and move towards Bitcoin if we're not respected enough in order to have equality in the banking system, which we've seen over the years. So I think the same thing is possible. And in my opinion, with what's happened recently, it's just the start. And it's not as if we're alone. Indigenous people around the world are affected by colonialism. There are people in America that are not Black that are affected by the same economic situation. Mm -hmm. And one of the best things is that Bitcoin helps everybody. There is no barrier to entry. So there is no stopping it. There is no way that you can actually keep people out based on human intervention. So that is one of the, the biggest things I want to impart on the, our on my people. And as far as with the books, make sure I explain it so that we can be uh, you know, well-equipped for the future. I agree with you wholeheartedly about that. But I guess 
when I think of it, and when I think of Bitcoin as a solution to either economic inequality, and again, like you said, if that's toward Black America or toward poor America or toward anybody that faces kind of like economic inequality, I'm curious as to mm-hmm. how Bitcoin is going to help resolve that. Is that where like, okay, Bitcoin mm-hmm. and crypto has to be adopted completely to help people that are kind of like disenfranchised economically? Or can you just say, hey, you're living paycheck to paycheck, but go spend some of your money on crypto. To me, like, where is that? How does that help somebody that's in that position? And can it help somebody now? Or is it like 10 years from now when crypto takes over, that's what's going to help somebody? Oh, yeah. So I think it's both. I think it can help in the future as well as now. So as far as right now, what it can help is one of the best things Bitcoin has done for me personally has enabled me to have a savings account that garners way more than any other. It beats inflation every year easily. So if you're keeping your money in anything other than something investment-wise, you're losing money due to inflation. I know Bitcoin is the best performing asset of the last decade as well as this year. And as far as keeping your money in there outside of the system, as a group, I know as a Black community, if you do that as a group, one of the things is is banks take notice. They start to realize, hey, people are leaving our banks. We're having less business and they're moving towards an asset that's more viable. I believe there was a company today that actually bought $250 million worth of Bitcoin in order to move their cash holdings into what they considered a more stable and viable asset, which is Bitcoin. I believe it's micro something. I, I, I forget the name, but that is an example of what I mean by being able to have leverage because you move your money to an asset. And then long term, if you own these assets, I think whoever owns these assets will be similar to the internet. People who had uh, digital real estate, so to say, people who have the knowledge about the internet and how it works, same thing will happen with Bitcoin. The ability to accept Bitcoin as a business, the ability to move Bitcoin with assets, you can improve a lot of our society outside of the banking system, which has proven itself to not help us long term. Because even if there's somebody who is in my community, Black American, and you feel like you've made it, you should actually have more. No matter how much money you feel like you have, you mm-hmm. should actually have more because inflation and it's good to adopt Bitcoin because it is a deflationary aspect. And otherwise, you are losing money unless you invest it in something like Bitcoin. Yeah, perfectly said. And honestly, that makes so much sense. That's such a great explanation of short-term and long-term ways that cryptocurrency can help somebody. And just framing it as, hey, it's a savings account, put $10, $15 of your check every week or every two weeks, if you can, whatever you can, buy a little Bitcoin, go on Cash App, whatever exchange, whatever onboarding ramp you use, buy a little crypto, and you're generally going to be better off than if you were to just put it in some low yield kind of savings account. Yeah, absolutely. What about loans and stuff? So what's the banking system like today for a Black American? Obviously, I would assume, hopefully, that it's better than it was back in the day 20, 30, 40 years ago. I'm hoping that it's gotten better since then. But of course, it's not perfect for anybody right now. So as a Black American, is the banking system still inequality in the banking system for Black Americans? Uh, Yes. So it does exist, but you are correct. It has gotten better. And that is one of the good things about it is that it has gotten better. However, there's room for improvement. We can, of course, push for that. And one of the things that has happened is because of historical racism, like we said before, the redlining of different zip codes has uh, permanently put certain people in positions where getting a loan is harder than others. Even in, in my book, I describe situations 
you know, lawsuits or different things because of their discriminatory uh, process of loans. And we're not talking about 40, 50 years ago. All of my examples start from 2012 up to 2017. So these are very recent. And my newest book, which we'll talk about later, has examples up to 2020 where this still goes on. And it's not necessarily because they're just looking at you and they say, oh, you're black, you can't get a loan. They use your zip code or they use different information to determine what type of loan you get, which was started as a racist operation. And because of that history, that is what banks have as far as data to go off of as far as loans, as far as commercial real estate, as far as uh, residential real estate. Yes, those things still happen. And unfortunately, those things still resonate, even though they are in the past, but (laughs) they still happen today. And they still have to put off certain lawsuits to keep people quiet. But yes, it still happens. And honestly, if you can move to a different system, at the very least, it will get banks to get rid of the discriminatory bias that they have in certain aspects. And even though people try to say, well, it's more economic than it is racial. Yes. At this point, I would agree with you, but it started out as racial. And because of that history, it is now economic because there are poor white, black, Mexican, Latino, any type of people. They are those people that have certain uh, economic troubles. But because of the racial discrimination from before, we start to see those same problems today. Yeah, you know, I agree with that. I went to school. I, I have three master's degrees. I went to school for a really long time because I thought that's what the right move was. And I guess I just really enjoyed school. And obviously with that comes a lot of loans. You're not going to be able to pay. Most people can't just pay for their college out of pocket. I mean, unless you're kind of born into wealth, that's kind of a difficult thing to do. And especially I went to a private college in my area. So I basically took out a bunch of loans. And so the financial system, in my opinion, discriminates against me as well because I have all of those loans. And it's like, man, this guy unless he's making 200 grand a year, he's got all those loans that make him look like not a worthy candidate for some sort of a mortgage or something like that. So I certainly hope that crypto can address something like that as well. And I've had somebody on the CEO of Ledin. I don't know if you're familiar with them. It's like a crypto loan service and they offer like Bitcoin loans and stuff like that. And I kind of asked him the same thing, like will crypto loans address stuff like that, which seems kind of unfair, right? Like I went to school for a really long time. I, I, I got a really good education, but now I have that number floating above my head that I'm paying every month that just is, is going to affect me until I pay it off, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I see that, but I also see a future where if you have cryptocurrency, the way it can help any community is that, hey, if you actually own cryptocurrency, you can use that as collateral for a loan. I think there's a solution there, but yes, you're right. It could be just a continuation of what we have before. But we have an opportunity to change it. So I, I would love to see that change. And I think there are companies starting with that. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned redlining. And for anybody that's not familiar with redlining, I guess I would say just go kind of look it up. Go look up the historical context of what that is. But I read an interview that you had with Forbes. And that, which congrats, by the way, on getting a, a super cool Forbes interview. That's a pretty oh, yeah. cool accomplishment. <laughs> so you mentioned digital redlining in that interview which was a concept that I had never really heard of, but makes sense when you think about it. Can you describe what you think digital redlining is or what it is? Yes, absolutely. So with redlining, it was a deliberate process where certain people were kept out of certain real estate. And with digital redlining, what can happen is at a certain point, people who have certain controls over the ICANN system, which is the system that governs our networks and internet, as well as our digital privacy, Uh, What can happen is you can have certain 
groups that want to redline maybe Bitcoin people or crypto people in general or people that have a certain view on the world. They can redline you from certain websites or certain certain on-ramp platforms. Hmm. So digital redlining to me is something that, say for instance, yes, I am a Black American. I have influence in my community and we have a reason, in my opinion, to adopt Bitcoin. There can be some day where there's a digital red line where it's like, well, if we can do KYC and determine that they are Black Americans, uh, we can keep them off of this platform based on the fact that it could be a political statement or based on the fact that it could be something threatening. No matter what it is, digital redlining can happen if you're not vigilant enough to understand that this uh, technology is evolving and that these things have happened in the past. It's just a matter of it being digital. And one of the things is... It's not just my community, it's any community. Bitcoin is themselves, crypto people, people who fight for freedom uh, in any capacity as far as data privacy can have this sort of digital red line happening. And if you look at China, they are literally a country that redlines everything they don't deem necessary for their people. Mm-hmm. And this is already happening. So digital redlining is possible in any community, and it is possible no matter what sort of tech field you are a part of, because data privacy, Bitcoin and crypto people, data and digital redlining is possible. So you just want to stay vigilant and be able to have the openness to operate. Got it. And so you had mentioned China, and they have their uh, social credit system, which is, I mean, wild. Yeah, yeah. That's insane. I mean, that would be scary. I guess we kind of have it here to a degree, just not a government sanctioned social credit system, but more just like a social credit system. You know, like if you think about all the shaming that people do or like cancel culture, right, is like kind of yeah. a, a social credit system, just not government sanctioned, more just like sanctioned by the people. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I would take canceling any day over an actual government sanctioned uh, social credit system. <laughs> That's for sure. Absolutely. It seems like everybody who gets canceled becomes a billionaire later. So. Do you think they get become a They get richer later, at least. <laughs> Let me no, get canceled real quick. They're already rich anyway, though, man. And the rich always get richer. So mm-hmm. that's how you get yeah. rich is you got to be rich. That's yeah. what hopefully crypto will change. And it has. I mean, crypto created a bunch of crypto millionaires, a lot of crypto rich people. And so hopefully now, years later, after it did create a lot of uh, wealth, hopefully those people will not act the same as the traditional wealthy in our society, you know, and hopefully they'll Absolutely. make the right uh, moves and changes and stuff. Oh yeah. That's what we're working for. Definitely. Yeah. Let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> so as I mentioned, you have a number of accomplishments and also just like companies and entrepreneurships under your belt. So we mentioned the book, Bitcoin and Black America, which is hugely popular. And I think anybody should pick it up and check that out. And then you also have podcast called, or I don't want to call it a podcast, but I guess a daily show. And it's called The Gentleman of Crypto. Yes. I was looking into that and that has over 500 episodes as far as I understand. Is that right? Yes. Uh, almost 600. Yeah, we have, I think, 587. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> so it, you do it every day or you were doing it every day? Yes. Uh, doing it every day. Like like I said before, uh, we've had some breaks in between but as far as the show itself we always try to get out education as much as possible so yes the daily show helps with that definitely so as somebody who does a podcast himself and who also does a weekly news update podcast i know how much work goes into that kind of stuff i can't imagine how much work would go into doing a daily podcast i mean are you just over what were you just like overwhelmed <laughs> constantly while you were doing that well 
it would seem so because I thought so at first, but actually I love it so much. It doesn't seem like work. So it's not really overwhelming when you're doing what you love. So I, I love that part about it. And my uh, co-host King, he loves it as much as I do. And like I said, I love our crowd, everybody who tunes in. And we've been doing it this long because we love it this much. And we love the uh, live factor of it as well. So let me ask you this as one uh, content creator to another. I find myself, I have to do a lot of research before I go on and do like a, mm-hmm. a, a news podcast. So if you're going on live daily, isn't there that like pre-research phase where you have to spend a bunch of time researching things to make sure you're understanding it correctly before you talk to your audience about it? Oh yeah, absolutely. So that actually helps me because I get yeah. to read news every morning. I read, like, that, that's one of the things I tell people is that some people are in crypto and they read news every now and then. I read news every single day. I get to read the news from Cointelegraph, Coindesk, any website. We use coins. It it doesn't matter. Any website that has any type of news, we read it. And of course, mainstream as well. And I get to keep up with it. And of course, like we said, do the show and then answer questions based off of that. So like I said, when you love what you do, it doesn't seem like work. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, that was more of a personal question for me. And that's I'll say it feels um, almost empowering when you're doing that research because you know you're learning about all these things in crypto Mm -hmm. that people outside of crypto they have no idea about and people inside of crypto still might not know that much about so it is a little bit empowering that you're getting all this knowledge for yourself and then you're sharing it with other people it's it's cool oh yeah absolutely and in my opinion i think that's the best way to go about it because i love to do it anyway and if most people aren't going to read which i already know uh (laughs) best thing is to make a video about it make it entertaining get the news out there and people can watch it daily for your fans of the podcast or for your show who are hopefully listening to this right now, when I went and looked it up, it looked like there was a bit of a lull. Are you guys still recording now or are you on a break right now? Uh, yes, well, we're recording, but we are sort of on a break only because I do have a daughter on the way. Oh, uh, congrats. A child coming, yeah, coming in the next month and a half. Oh, wow. So right now I'm in, I'm in transition between getting a new house, getting the baby set. So it's wow. a lot of stuff going on. But the best part is we aren't stopping. It's just a break. And yeah. I think our fans understand because like I said, we've been around since 2017. We've done it every day. So it's not really that big of a deal because most people are like, hey, look, it's not that many people even close to as many episodes we've done. And yeah. we put out a lot of content. So yeah, we're taking a small break, but we'll, we will be back very soon. Listen, as somebody who has also just moved into a new house in the past two weeks and doesn't have a baby on the way, (laughs) I don't think anybody would fault you for taking a break when you have a baby on the way and you're in the middle of switching houses because it's stressful to move, first of all. And then when you have a baby on the way, I mean, that's like a whole nother thing, you know? Yes. So yeah, that's... uh, (laughs) Absolutely. I feel like we caught you at a good time to do this podcast because I feel like once you have... uh, You said a daughter? Yes, have once, a uh, young girl. Yeah, once you have your daughter, I mean, I feel like that first, like, I don't know, year of parenthood or whatever they say is just a lot of work. So Exactly. <laughs> you, you might not have as much Trying time to do the podcast. Now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yep. Awesome. Well, good luck with that and congratulations again on that. That's great. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, no problem. All right, so then you also have the KRB Digital Assets Group and then also the Blockchain Project, which is a great name. So what are those all about? Absolutely. So the KRB Digital Assets Group, we started that as an educational platform. That's where me and my business partner provided three educational guides, Bitcoin starter guides for any of our clients, as well as uh, consulting. And as as far as now, we still do webinars for anybody who is interested, mostly for groups now, uh, not just individuals. So that's what KRB That's what we do with that. And as far as blockchain, that is a future project that I'm working on now. 
in order to invest in small businesses with Bitcoin. And it'll start as a digital marketplace. It'll move to an investment platform and later a sort of blockchain syndicate where people can vote using their money to invest in businesses on the platform. So yes, I'm working on all those things now. And like you said before, I am involved in a lot of things, but I like to stay busy. Yeah, that's going to lead to success, man. Like, I'm sure you're clearly already are successful, and I'm sure you'll have much more success with, um, you know, all of these different paths that you're taking that all kind of center on cryptocurrency, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's the future. I think that's what we're going towards. So I want to make sure I position myself to uh, empower not myself, but anybody who understands that Bitcoin is the future. So, you know, we've been talking for probably about 35, 40 minutes. And to be honest, dude, I could ask you so many more questions. I'd love to chat more. Obviously, we can't we talk forever, but a couple quick fire questions, right? So this episode might not be released for maybe a couple weeks. But right now, currently in US politics, the headline on CNN is Biden has selected a running mate. You know, everybody that's into crypto generally has different political opinions. But since you're on here and you have a book, Bitcoin and Black America, and Biden has promised to select a black female running mate. Any opinion on that? I'm going to be honest. When it comes to the national political stage, I don't really pay much attention because they don't they don't really affect anything. It's more local and state. Okay. Uh, what I will say is I think Biden choosing a black woman running mate is uh, sort of just virtue signaling. I don't really think it's sincere. I think it's a part of people who run him. Because politics is a game. I understand it. It's business. You do what you got to do to get in power, but I don't really follow it that much. And if he gets a black woman running mate, good for him. But that doesn't mean they're going to do anything for the black community, especially because we've had a black president who didn't do anything for the black community. I mean, that should be enough evidence right there. It doesn't matter. You have to do for self. And I think, like I said, this conversation we had today is a good entrance into how to do for self because politics, it doesn't matter if you have the money. Interesting. Is there a good effect of virtue signaling or even if it's done for BS reasons, can it have good effects? Yes. In the business world, I think it can. The political world, no. Because the political world to me is all games and it's more of a show to try and entice people to give them the capital they need to run whatever campaign they have. In the business world, yes. If there was a big push and who cares if it was virtual signaling? It's like, yeah, we're going to invest in 100 black companies. Oh, yeah, we're going to hire more black women and men in, in different positions. Yeah, the virtual signaling would actually get results because, in my opinion, I'm about the money. The political part of it is just talk. They can say that and they can kind of go with it. But in the business world, yes, I think that would start the conversation. And then uh, once you can prove yourself either through your, your merit or through your work, you know, the racism part of it won't even exist. It'll just be who's best for the job. But at this point, yes, I think it could work. But politically, no, I I just think it's too tainted of a game. Yeah, that's a fair point. And it's unfortunate that a lot of us have kind of like that jaded view of politics. And it is likely accurate. But I personally hope that it does something. I mean, I, I personally hope that Having a black president back when we had Barack Obama, maybe that did mean something to like a young black kid thinking to himself like, hey, I could be president one day. Maybe that's corny. Maybe it's not true. But I hope that that exists. I hope that having a black president did do something for this world or for this country, I guess. And, you know, maybe having a black female vice president won't be as much, but it would be the first female vice president. And it would also be the first black female vice president. So it would be historical, but maybe it wouldn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. They play on, uh, what I've seen is, you know, people play on your emotions. 
I mean, it feels good to be like, oh, the first black woman yeah, vice president. Yeah, yeah for but, sure. But uh, what exactly could she do? I mean, I'm just bigger on the money aspect. If we're not talking about money, everything else is just talk. If there's nothing changed economically, if there's no opportunities, just equal ground, period, economically, uh, it's just talk to me. I mean, everything else can happen and it'll be cool, but uh, <laughs> I just don't care that much if it's not economic. It's about the money. Yeah, that makes sense. And I can understand that. I can agree with that. I mean, we all have to, we all want our own personal kind of success as well. I mean, just as a voter or as an American, you want policies that are going to help you in general, especially if you are more in an underserved community. And that includes anybody that is doesn't have financial freedom, lives paycheck to paycheck. You want somebody in politics that is going to make life a little bit better for you personally, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the thing. I don't think politics can do it because they can't end the Fed. They work for the Fed. That's why I said I don't really care about politics. Mm, it's going to be individuals. And that's the biggest you know, enemy to me is it's not politicians. They, they work for somebody. And those people work in the interest of the Federal Reserve. That's who you should be going after. So that's why I said that. It doesn't really matter what you say. If you're not going after the Fed, if you're not trying to change the way money is distributed and trying to make a better life where a deflationary economy can emerge based on technology, I'm not really interested. So do you think we'll ever have an anti-Fed politician? I mean, what about like Andrew Yang? Was he kind of close to an anti-Fed politician? Sort of. I think his ideas, the, way, the reason he got stamped out is because he did have sort of revolutionary ideas with the UBI and with a socialist view. However, what I see is a lot of people in our economy, they think this is capitalism. This is not capitalism. This is crony capitalism. Uh, we have not seen a true capitalist society. And what happens is if it was capitalist in 2008, all these banks that failed would have died. We wouldn't have bailed them out. So we haven't really, we've seen socialism at the highest levels, but not at the lower. And one of the things I've always said is that, hey, if we have capitalism with a social safety net for, let's say, for instance, small business owners, let's say you make a certain amount as a small business owner and you fail because you tried as a small business owner, because that's the backbone of an economy. Why not make that the solution? Those are the people we should bail out. Not these people who already have millions or billions mm -hmm. and definitely not giving away any free money to people at the lower end either. With you know, a lot of the social programs, we're giving away money there. And we have enough money. We just proved we can print however much we want. Mm -hmm. However, we don't want extra printing to increase inflation. But if we want to go long term, all we have to do is redistribute the money that has been given out to the people of America. And in my opinion, move, you know, slowly towards a new system where your money is based off of your merit. You make what you earn. That, to me, is the best philosophy ever. And as a savings account, I just think Bitcoin is the best option. Yeah, well said. And my own personal belief on that briefly is that if we're talking about giving more kind of money and more credence to small business owners, then I think a really good way to do that would be to also, something else you need to implement then is to make it easier for people to become small business owners, right? Exactly. I would think that would be a good solution there because if we want more small business owners, then you know, not everybody can, we know there's a digital divide that exists in the world. And so like, if there's a digital divide and then like every form is online that you need to fill out to become a small business owner, let's you know, make it easier to become a small business in general might be a, a solution there as well. Absolutely, I'm with you there. All right. Well, hey, man, you know, this is probably the deepest conversation that I've had on this podcast. And this is kind of the stuff that I want to talk about. I'm a pretty like political and I like to have these like philosophical conversations. When you're talking about cryptocurrency taxation, it's not as easy to have these conversations necessarily. Um, you clearly have a really 
wise opinion about Bitcoin and economics. And so I really appreciate you sharing that with us today. I appreciate you having me on, brother. Thank you. Of course. All right. So Isaiah, if anybody wants to reach out to you, what is the best way to get in touch? What are your social medias, your website, et cetera? Oh, yeah. So the best way to contact me is on Twitter at Bitcoin Zay, Z-A-Y. And also by email, Isaiah at K-R-B-E-C-R-Y-P-T-O.com. I'm also available on Instagram at Bitcoin Zay LLC and on Facebook as well at Bitcoin Zay. So you can contact me there. And the website is available on www.bitcoinandblackamerica.com. Perfect. All right. Did I forget anything? You got the book coming out. Did you want to mention uh, about the second uh, edition of the book? Absolutely. So I do want to say that the second edition of Bitcoin and Black America uh, will be out September 1st. And I just want to put that out there because it will be more information, more resources, and I can't wait for people to read it and of course, move forward in the Bitcoin space. Awesome. I can't wait to check it out and uh, look forward to hearing more about all of your endeavors. If you have any free time in the next year, which I'm sure is going to be tough with a a baby on the way, but uh, I'm sure you'll make time. You seem like a guy that will make time for these types of things, but hopefully we can have you back on at some point and chat about economics and Bitcoin and Black America and all of your endeavors. Oh yeah, absolutely. We'd love to. Awesome. All right, Isaiah, thank you again so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you. And that's going to be it for this week's episode of the Cryptocurrency Informer. Don't forget, if you want to read more, go to talk.bitcoin.tax and click on the Cryptocurrency Informer link. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, and Google Play Music so you can catch every new episode that we release.